Good morning, everyone. This is the Healthy Idea Podcast by Iman and Nico. I'm Iman. And I'm Nico. And on our podcast, we sit down with founders on how they're using new technologies to solve critical health issues that face our society today. We learn more about their journeys into entrepreneurship and how they started their company. We hope to shed light on innovation in health and encourage you to think on the art of what's possible with technology today. Today's podcast is on Icona Health, a company using VR to deliver better care. We sat down with Tim, a U.S. Navy veteran turned trader on Wall Street and entrepreneur due to a life-changing back surgery early on in his career. We also have Todd, a learning scientist and former university professor of psychology and neuroscience at the University of Texas, Austin. We talk about all things VR, patient-centered care and education, experiential learning, and a trailblazing, fairly new product category. Today we have Tim and Todd from Icona Health, which is a startup making a lot of waves within the virtual reality and digital health space. And we would love to uh, hear a little bit more about yourselves. Absolutely. I'm happy to kick things off here. This is Tim Fitzpatrick. I'm the CEO and a co-founder here at Icona. Uh, we actually celebrate three years next month, which is hard to believe. Uh, but prior to Icona, I was an equities trader for a bank in New York where I covered uh, technology, media, and telecom sectors. Covered about 150 companies, so everything from big tech like Amazon, Netflix, and Facebook to emerging tech like NVIDIA uh, and things like memory, storage, semiconductors, uh, small caps, software, that sort of thing. Before trading, I was in the U.S. Navy for seven years, including uh, four years of reserve time while I was in the Navy ROTC program in Boston uh, in the cold, which was uh, a great experience um, prior to that. And then I actually commissioned and went to flight school in Florida. So I went through the Navy flight school program and then uh, had a, a long patient experience, which I'll get into here in a bit when we get into Icona. But um, suffice to say that... Uh, uh, after Boston was in the service, then on Wall Street trading, and now here I am at Icona. I guess I'll, I'll talk about myself. I'm Todd Maddox. Uh, I am an immersive learning and data scientist uh, at Icona, and I um, have somewhat of an interesting background. I'll, I'll, I could belabor it endlessly, but I won't. Um, suffice it to say that I already had a career uh, I have a PhD in psychology and neuroscience, and I spent 25 years as a basic scientist slash university professor. Uh, and the focus of my research uh, was on the neurobiological basis of learning, memory, and performance. So the bottom line, I studied how the brain learns. Does the brain learn different things with different parts of the brain? And do those different parts of the brain have different operating characteristics such that one technology might be ideal for one type of learning, but not very good for another type of learning, and another technology might be good for a different type of learning? And the answers to those questions, long story short, is yes. There are multiple parts of the brain that learn different things. They each have very, very, very different operating characteristics, which is really fascinating. Uh, and so the technologies that optimally engage the relevant brain systems for, let's say, learning how to conduct a surgery versus, uh, you know, memorizing HIPAA 
requirements or something, very different parts of the brain, and the operating characteristics are very different. And so the technology that you would want to use would be very different. About four years ago, I left the academic world and I decided to see if I could sort of translate into plain English literally a hundred years worth of amazing research that it was clear to me hadn't made its way out into the private sector. And about a year after I started this process, I met Tim. I started learning about immersive technologies, in particular virtual reality and augmented reality. And in looking at those technologies through the lens of the brain and what these technologies do to the brain, how they engage the brain, a light bulb literally went off in my head. I was like, this technology could be an absolute game changer in education and training in every sector. I mean, you know, elementary school education, high school education, college education, manufacturing, and of course, healthcare, which is the sector that we're working in. So over the last three years of working with Tim, what we've really done is leveraged our unique skill sets. And I think what's so great about this relationship, and I'm speaking for myself at least, is that we each have strengths and that, that, that come together and, and really, you know, this is one of the sort of the whole is more than the sum of the parts. Um, but, but it's really clear, again, from a neuroscience perspective and how the brain is engaged by the, these technologies that they can do some really, really, really amazing things. And I think, I think they can absolutely transform healthcare and, and frankly are. That's fantastic, and uh, so glad to have you both here. Clearly, there is an intersection between what it means to learn and how we can optimize neuroscience to enhance the the healing process. And um, Tim, you mentioned the patient experience, and I kind of want to just go a bit about on that, on how that motivated you to start Icona and, and how this concept came to be and how it stemmed into that neuroscience technology and, and into VR later on. Sure, absolutely. Uh, so about two years into flight school, as I mentioned earlier, I ended up needing surgery pretty unexpectedly on my back. And, and it was supposed to be uh, you know, all those, uh, you, you read the piece of paper, you talk to your doctor and they say, you know, this is a pretty simple procedure and you'll be in and out here in a week. You'll be back to flying in no time. And it turned out it was about 18 months later that I finally healed. I ended up having three back surgeries and probably well north of 300 days in the hospital with wound care treatments. Um, it was just, it was miserable, right? It was, it was terrible and very much a, a formative experience in my life. But you, I can pretty much break my life into two halves at this point, before and after that experience. Um, but the one thing that, that certainly jumped out at me during that time was, was just the uncertainty of it all. You know, there, you're, you're going day to day, you can't see past your next appointment. Um, you don't really know what the future holds. You have no idea what your health looks like, let alone your future. Um, I knew at a certain point that I was no longer going to be able to stay flying. So once you're out of the cockpit for 12 months in the Navy, there's kind of a rule where you either have to restart training completely, which no thank you, um, or you know you, you pick a new warfare specialty or community. And uh, eventually I healed and I said, you know what, it's, it's time for me to, to get out, to move on, to, to figure out my life. And you know, I have my health back, so let's just, let's just figure it out. So that's when I, I got out and I went to New York and took the job as a trader. But 
of course, I've done a lot of, of thinking back and uh, I took some time to think about how everything went down and transpired and, and what could have been done differently. Of course, you can play that a million times over as, as people typically do after tough experiences. Um, and what I really realized is that the uncertainty but all, all the education piece was lacking, right? So it's supposed to be a simple procedure, perhaps training could have been better on the professional side. Um, on my side, you know, pain could have been much less. <laughs> uh, so that's that's number one. Number two, expectations could have been set differently. So as I was trading the tech sector and learning about really interesting new technologies from AI to AR and VR and playing around with all these tools and learning about what these companies were doing to push the envelope, uh, it was about at that time where I met my co-founders. So I have, I have two co-founders, Kimon and George. They are both neurosurgeons, both based in New York. Um, prior to med school, George had been a VR filmmaker. He had actually launched his own production company. Really fascinating couple of, of, of guys who, who met at residency. And they decided way back, and well, I say way back, but way back for VR. Way back in 2015, they decided to do this fascinating randomized control trial to find out what would happen with VR in a preoperative setting. So they were basically asking the question, if we show a patient prior to surgery what it's like, a day in the life, right? So this is a real video. We are showing them, let's say, the week prior to their surgery to acclimate them to this is exactly what you're going to see. You know, let's let's show you what's next. Let's take away some of that mystery that really aids, that that adds to anxiety. And sure enough, you know these patients felt uh, much much better, 30% less anxiety preoperatively. They were happier after surgery. They had better outcomes. I mean, it was just it was a wonderful experiment that showed tremendous promise for VR. So when I met those those two gentlemen, I was already a trader. Uh, we kind of shared stories. We became close friends and we made the decision collectively that, you know, this was late 2016. I, I kind of thought to myself, well, you know, this is this is a huge opportunity. And if I if I ever had a chance to give back, to go be able to find patients who maybe are going through that that uncertainty. And if there's one area where this could be improved or one technology, you know, maybe it's VR because it sounds like VR is pretty powerful when it comes to to pulling back that layer, like I mentioned before. So sure enough, we, we decided to launch the company. It was around then that I met Todd and, and really started to dive into the education and training angle and discovered that that was the missing piece. And that was the piece that we wanted to focus on and, uh, you know, just trying to learn as much as possible. Of course, Todd's been an invaluable resource, but when it comes to the patient experience, there's just so many different patient stories out there and, and hearing every single one of them and obviously the work we've done in the last three years to hear patient stories and to, to have VR as a tool be effective in, in helping people see what's next. You know, that's, that's just, you can't put into words how invaluable that is for a patient who really has, does not have the luxury of having their health every morning. It's just a really tough place to be in. So however VR can help be helpful is, is, is a big thing for us. So that's been our focus for the last three years. And, and that's great to hear. Um, I, I definitely see the connection there and I definitely see how, how Todd, uh, you know, made his way onto the team, um, which has been great being a, an expert and, and kind of a growing professional in the neuroscience field to optimize education and training. 
Um, and, you know, you mentioned things like the patient experience and hearing other stories about things like anxiety and seeing things beyond the next appointment. Um, did you, was there a point where you really saw, is there something very real here? Is this a, is this a tangible product that we can actually, or a tangible solution rather, that we can conform into a product and actually, uh, you know, distribute and, and education is, a, is a, an interesting channel to attack it too. Um, so I would love to hear, you know, why why you thought education was the best use case, and uh, what what's going on currently in terms of, you know, there's something really real here, and and we we feel like this is a solution that's working. Sure, absolutely. I'll I'll, I'll kick this one off, but I know that you know this is where Todd's work is really going to shine through. But basically, what we realized initially was, sure, this RCT that was done by my co-founders was very powerful, and it was it was in a familiarization context, right? So it was very much a, a high level 360 video based solution to help people understand the environment they'll be in, give some context, uh, show a, a decent level of presence and immersion for, for end users. Uh, fantastic, wonderful. But around the same time, of course, as, as we were doing our research to figure out where the real value add was gonna be from, from our standpoint, from Icona's standpoint in the VR sector, there were already a couple companies doing fantastic work and, and had some very promising early traction in the pain management space and the anxiety reduction space. Uh, I would say VR therapeutics was still very, very early in 2016. You know, only a handful of companies, like I said, but we were starting to see the writing on the wall because, you know, VR is not new. It's been around since the 80s, probably since the 60s, but really commercialized since the 80s. Uh, fantastic researchers have been out there for decades doing wonderful work in everything from PTSD and anxiety reduction to to pain management uh, for, let's say, dressing changes. Right? So one of the most notorious and, and seminal works on pain reduction came from uh, burn victims who were having dressing changes and playing a game where they uh, snow was involved and, and made users feel cold and it was having tremendous effects on pain perception as distraction tool just wonderful work. So over time, and, and this gets back to your question here, Iman, of, of why education, but Todd and I have, have taken a very uh, a very pointed approach in, in trying to assess the work that's been done across the space, right? So the more we see the power of VR as a therapeutic tool in areas that I've mentioned, the more we realize the opportunity for education because better educated patients will have better outcomes. We, we know that that's, there's plenty of evidence to support that. And if you've been a patient, you know, and you've asked those questions and you've understood your health, you have the power, the more, you know, the more power you have over your own health. Right. So we've always believed education was the key, but it was through seeing the progress done in other areas of the space. Now, I, I will defer to, to Todd here. I'd love to hear his his thoughts. But really, for us, um, research, a good understanding of the space, and seeing opportunities for things like decision making in in patient care, where so much of healthcare these days is shifting towards value based. Right, a, a big piece of that has everything to do with patients understanding their care, and the only way for patients to make effective decisions about their health. Uh, is if they understand what's happening and, and what role they play in ensuring that they get the best treatment. Yeah, I, I can I can add a little bit to that. I mean, um, 
so when I when when I first met Tim and and really started thinking about VR from a neurobiological standpoint, it was 100% clear to me that uh, this technology broadly engages multiple learning memory and performance systems in the brain simultaneously. So I knew I was 100% certain from day one that this could add value in education in every sector. Okay, so that's point number one. Point number two, when I heard Tim's story, which is incredibly compelling, and you know, I, I lost a parent to Alzheimer's and was a caregiver and knew nothing <laughs> and you know, didn't get much education. Um, so I had my own personal experience. And then I started, you know, as a scientist, you start digging into the data and you realize that maybe 10, 15% of people have decent health literacy. That's, that's pathetic. That's a that's terribly low number. We, we, and, and that's got to be costing, you know, hundreds of billions of dollars. And in fact, it is. So, you know, but of course, healthcare education, this, it's complicated, right? You've got all this terminology, you've got jargon, you're talking about the human body, which is literally one of the most complicated and amazing systems in the universe. Um, and you're trying to impart information onto people who are trying to cope emotionally with the fact that they're not invincible, especially men, of course, um, and, and which, which enhances stress, enhances anxiety. Well, guess what? Stress and anxiety are not good for traditional education and training approaches. Okay, so there's a famous quote by Albert Einstein that frankly says it all. It says, learning is an experience. Everything else is information. Okay, well, what is VR? VR is an experience. It's an experiential learning machine. What is text? What is PowerPoint? That's information, okay? Information is processed by a part of the brain called the prefrontal cortex, right, to find your forehead. That's an amazing part of the brain but it's limited by working memory limitations. It's limited by attentional limitations. It doesn't fully develop until you're in your early 20s and it starts to decline in middle age. And yet all, almost all of our educational solutions are directed specifically at the prefrontal cortex. This part of the brain that is limited capacity, is slow to develop, quick to decline, and massively adversely affected by stress and anxiety. <laughs> so, I mean, you know, it's kind of a no-brainer. It's no wonder it's 10 to 15% health literacy. Well, what about VR? Again, VR, this is experiential learning at its core. What does that mean? It means that you are being provided with information, and I'm not saying information is bad, but if you're being provided with information within an experiential context, you can be provided that information in a way that you, you literally feel like you're there, which means emotional centers are engaged. So you're actually gonna deal with some of your stress and anxiety in VR before you, you know, end up actually in the hospital for the surgery. And this is why Kimon and George's uh, study, this is a really simple study. There's a control group and a VR group. Very simple, very straightforward, but incredibly elegant. 
And the results are, are stunning. I mean, the, the effects are huge, but it makes sense because the VR solution is broadly engaging all these parts of the brain experientially, reducing stress and anxiety, providing that not just information, but that feel, okay, yeah, I, I, I kind of get a sense, I kind of feel what it's going to be like to be in that hospital bed. I kind of get a feel for what it's going to be like to be in the hospital preparing for surgery. So that when I get into the real hospital, I'm going to be less anxious, I'm going to be less stressed. And we know that reduced anxiety, reduced stress enhances patient satisfaction. That's a good thing. And it leads to more positive outcomes, obviously another good thing. So, you know, I mean, for, for me, you know, there's no, there's no bigger way to give back than to give back making people feel better about their health and making people have a better understanding of situations that they're in. And I think more importantly, and this is something that we're very, very interested in, can we attack some of these problems before they happen? Can we provide you with VR experiences to facilitate change, you know, to, to facilitate small changes in lifestyle that are going to reduce the likelihood that you get diabetes or at the very least push it back, are going to be able to reduce the likelihood of getting Alzheimer's disease or, again, at the very least push it back. Um, so I think, I think there's, there's a lot of potential for, you know, sort of stopping some of these things from happening through high quality education that broadly engages all these parts of the brain. And that's what VR does. Absolutely. And, <clears throat> excuse me, we could not agree more. I think that's a very uh, interesting perspective, and it's one that's very true, um, connecting to the emotional epicenters of our brain in order to address our health, um, to en enhance our healing process. And uh, the same can be done with how we learn, with uh, health literacy and uh, addressing our health needs better. So I, I definitely agree, and that's something that we definitely see in virtual reality with the experiential piece of, of learning and also of healing. So that, that's great. And um, I'm, I'm going to pass the baton off to Nico, who, who will be asking more questions, more on the mission and kind of the future vision. Um, I know we heard a bit about it with, from you, Todd, on changing potentially habits to uh, almost preemptive, preemptively attack things like the potential of getting diabetes. Um, and so, uh, Nico, if you want to hop on and, and ask more about kind of the current and, and the future state. Hey, Tim and Todd, I just want to start off by thanking you guys once again for coming on the podcast with us. But the question that I wanted to ask you guys today is, how has it kind of changed over the past few years? And given where you guys are now, where do you foresee Icona going in the near future? Definitely, yeah, it's a great question, Nico. I, I think this absolutely, we'll split this into two parts, right? So the first part on this last three years, um, I mean, where where to begin, right? It's 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 been a a wild ride full of pivots and uh, tested hypotheses that ended up being incorrect. But that's why we do it. Um, I, I think it's, I think it is a good place to start in in this story is is post RCT starting out. Icona's brand new. Uh, Todd and I getting to know one another, and our mission at that point was exactly an extension of the work done by Kimon and George. 
right? So we we thought, and obviously based on my own patient experiences, it made a ton of sense to go to hospitals and to say, we are here to help you transform the patient experience. Now, that's great, <laughs> but uh, it's much harder to do that than you might think, right? So the RCT was very powerful, and at the time, um, VR is still pretty new, and I would argue that it's, you know, while it's still new to a lot of hospitals, if you look who's using it in 2020, you'd be very impressed, perhaps, because a large number of hospitals have stepped up adopted VR for a number of use cases or tested it internally and have seen tremendous results. But in 2016, 2017, what we were found, what we were learning was, hey, hospitals are pretty busy places. Um, they have things to worry about, uh, like uh, managing a budget and having margins uh, to worry about. And they're not too concerned about investing in large VR projects to, uh, to have some sort of um, exciting end result a year from now, right? So this is this is part of the iconic growing up and understanding where VR was in 2016 story, and it's it's an important one not just because it is very much representative of of most early stage B2B healthcare startups. I mean, if if anyone sells to the enterprise in healthcare, especially to hospitals, they've learned this lesson, right? You you have to understand your customer and where they're at on the ability to to bring your solution in and what that's going to mean for their workflows. And, and, and obviously it has to work within their workflows, but it can't cause much friction. And, and there's all different kinds of friction, right? It's not just buying friction, but it's also um, workflow and users. Who, who are they? Are they motivated to use your product? Does it make their lives easier? Is it just another thing for them to have to do? And at the time, VR was exciting, of course. We had this powerful results, people were excited about it, but when you got down to it, it was still pretty tough to build a system and, and, and a really strong, easy user experience for anyone, right? For anyone to be able to pick up a headset and know how to use this. There were a lot of unknowns. So all of this is to say that where we grew up was, was in our first pivot. And our first pivot, I would describe as a certainly one of, of product customer fit. So perhaps hospitals weren't going to be the first place that we really figured out who we were, who our, what our product did well, and who it served best. So from there, we, we kind of made our first pivot to, well, let's go after the service providers, right? Let's go after the companies that are seeing a ton of patients um, perhaps are not under the same constraints as, as a hospital or acute care system. So let's let's test out some of these other waters and see what those markets look like and if they might be open to using these new technologies. Let's see if they're ready to uh, cross the chasm here. Who are the early adopters who are going to help us push VR beyond this really early siloed effort of, of academia that had been around for decades with plenty of strong results, but just hadn't hadn't opened up. So the first First pivot here was was with customers and with our market, which which worked out well. The the second one, I'll I'll just do one more pivot here and then let Todd give his perspective. That first pivot makes a ton of sense to me. Working with various healthcare providers, and that comes with its own unique set of challenges when it comes to adaptation. 
like you were saying, there's a ton of people that have to be involved and brought on in the decision-making process. And so I can imagine with VR, which is considered for the most part a pretty new and groundbreaking technology, you probably ended up facing some challenges that were pretty unique to new types of products like VR. Absolutely. No, and to be honest, Nico, I think one of the harder things about VR, and and sure, I can say this all day, I'm sure someone who doesn't sell such a sexy product might look at me and and not, not like this, but we get a lot of false positives, right? If you walk into a room and you tell someone you have VR, Everyone in the room is going to say, yeah, this is exciting. And they're going to check out the VR headset and go, we need this. Um, that That's great. It doesn't really help us at all when it comes to figuring out if it's actually practical. You know, it's, it's, it's been a, uh, obviously, it's always exciting to walk into a room with people who have never seen VR and you see their jaws drop the second they put it on or you hear their responses and just you know, the oohs and the ahs. And it, that's one of the best feelings, of course. And, and that never gets old, let me tell you. But it, it certainly didn't help when it came time to figure out who was on board and who wasn't. But um, I, I think the the other interesting thing here in, in the second pivot was the timing of it all, right? So we launched Icona end of 2016, early 2017. And if you'll remember, there, there were a couple headsets on the market, uh, mostly smartphone driven. The, the debate was, was still about whether cardboard solutions, so really easy paper-based pop-ups that you could send to anyone in the mail and then they could download your app on their phone, plug it into the the paper thing that was branded or what have you, and then they had access to VR. Or if it was going to go the way of some of the larger tech companies at the time who had a, a headset, but you had to plug your phone into the front of it and go that route, right? So there, there was a huge cost versus accessibility argument, uh, of course, playing out. And we we kind of had to you know, pick, you know, we had some early capital. We said, you know, well, which strategy makes sense? Which one has, has longer legs? Which one's going to take us further? Um, who are our end users? Uh, how are they going to use this? What makes the most sense, et cetera, et cetera. And the second pivot ended up being a product pivot. So fortunately... Uh, Facebook bought Oculus and there were some ties split on the hardware side. It made it a little bit easier for us to say, you know what, we want quality. We are a production company. We focus on 360 video. That is our unique offering. We have experts who do this. We are investing in production capacity. We are not going to take our really exciting, well-done Hollywood level film for patients and put it into a piece of cardboard. That's that was kind of the the ultimate decision we made and said, you know what, we're going to commit to the high quality, high price point product because we know that our end users and our end uh, whoever facilitates this experience at the end, we want it to be as, as high quality as possible. We want it to be as controlled as possible. We we want to understand the deployment. We want to work with the enterprise. So we are not going to go that route. So the second one was very much in this it sounds simple in, 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 in hindsight, and you know, I can sum it up in 30 seconds. But of course, this took six to, to 12 months for us to see all this happening. And certain hardware vendors were collapsing. Others were thriving. Some were discontinuing their product lines. Others were announcing future generations of VR headsets without AR sensors in their smartphones. Um, some were not innovating at all and just announcing a second gen that had literally no improvements. And we just made a decision. So I, there's that is my take on the last three years. Of course, there's a lot more, but I figured the two pivots 
were most interesting. But uh, Todd, what are your what are your thoughts on the last three years here? Yeah, I mean, I, I you know, I mean, full disclosure, um, university professors live in a bubble. <laughs> now, you know, it's surrounded with ivory towers. Yeah, I mean, it's ivory towers, so it's cool. But um, I mean, I, you know, uh, and, and actually, this is where, you know, I mentioned earlier that I, I think that that we both have strengths and, and the whole is more than some of the parts. I mean, learning learning about business and and i still wouldn't consider myself even close to you know an expert or even average but um just learning about the the business side has has been fascinating i you know to tim's comments about the the hospitals um you know there's 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 two parts to be successful right you know one is to have a great product and that part i you know we've we've got nailed and we'll continue to nail because we know how to do science and science is always the answer to improving things. Um, but then there's that, you know, there's that psychological side. There's that uh, some people are risk averse or there's 20 decision makers and 19 are on board, but that last one is some crotchety old guy who thinks the Socratic method is the only way, even though he has no evidence, um, you know, and, and, and that's, 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 that can be, <laughs> that can be frustrating, right? Um, and I think to the to to the pivot comment, uh, the 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 hardware pivot comment, it's gotten a lot easier. So okay, look, actually, two points. One is, I talked to you know a lot of people. So people know what VR is now. They even they maybe heard of Oculus. Um, but I, I'll ask people. So how much do you think a headset costs? And people are still you know not people in the biz, but your average person thinks it's much closer to a thousand bucks than it is to a hundred bucks. And I say, you know, you can get an Oculus Go for $150 and they're blown away. And, and, and I, you know, so I think the more, the more we can get that word out that, you know, these things cost way less than an iPhone and everybody's got an iPhone. Um, everyone has an iPhone and these are, these are cheaper. And, and I, and I think the other, you know, when that decision was made, um, I was up, fully on board with it for, for a data reason. And, and again, you know, nerdy scientist, but the VR, not only does it engage the brain in these truly remarkable, amazing ways, but the data that you can collect in say the Oculus Go, you can track where people are looking, okay? Well, eye fixations and eye movements are literally a window onto attentional processing. They literally tell you what people are attending to. The ability to know when people's attention is waning, when it's waxing, maybe add some simple physiological measures, which is part of our roadmap. Um, and now, you know, now, you're, now you've even got emotional responses here. Being able to collect some data on your user, what they're doing, where their attention is, how their body is reacting, and then to manipulate the experience to again to optimize whatever it is you're trying to optimize whether it's pain management reducing PTSD symptoms or educating and training people and reducing their stress about an upcoming surgery you know absolute game changer so um i mean the the the, the data that already exists on VR and healthcare are overwhelming really remarkable amazing results i guarantee you we have a lot more room for improvement and that's going to be where the hard scientific work comes in. 
utilizing these data, combining it with AI, machine learning, you, you know, personalizing the care. Um, there's a lot of room for improvement. This is going to be really, really exciting. And that's one of the craziest parts about VR headsets to me is just how affordable they've gotten over the past few years. Um, I know that Oculus Quest came out late last year and that it's only a few hundred dollars and it's the one of the first headsets that lets you actually immerse in VR without having to use any external sensors. All you need is the actual headset. Um, I remember one of my first experiences with VR was when I was in this college course and we used this program slash anatomy game that actually allowed us to go into the human body and see exactly what was going on. So like I was actually able to put myself into the heart and see how blood was flowing from the different from the different parts of the heart and was able to look at things like oxygen concentrations and CO2 concentrations and how that moved and molecules were pushed throughout the human body. And I just found that to be so amazing. Um, my next question for you guys is what do you guys have what do you guys have in mind for the next few years before Icona Health? How do you see the business evolving moving forward? Yeah, I, I, I'm happy to start this one here. For for us on the Icona side, we're we're leaning into a couple areas that um, that really stick out to us where we've had some success in obviously understanding the space itself uh, from from a healthcare standpoint, from a point of care standpoint. Uh, and those two spaces are, are aging care support, so staff training for, for aging care, as well as kidney care. So kidney disease affects 15% of Americans. It's a massive number, you know, 37 million Americans with kidney disease. Uh, it's just it's just shocking, you know, ninth leading cause of death in the United States. And it's, it's, it's stunning, but when you realize what the industry looks like today and, and where the opportunities might lie for for education for patients throughout that experience. Uh, some of the early data we've seen so far are just very compelling on, on where VR fits in well as an education solution. So that's that's what I'll say there. From thinking larger, larger picture, bigger picture for VR as a whole, uh, one really interesting trend we've noticed in the last, I'd say six months, and if, if you haven't already, I encourage you to check out what's called the Learning Hub. Todd and I have, have put a lot of time into this over the last year, curating seminal papers from across the industry and, and for, from the last several years, actually going back quite a few years. But really stunning papers are, are starting to come out that are getting into what Todd hinted at earlier, which is some of the behavioral aspects, some of the physiological aspects. Um, an interesting thing I've noticed are solutions that are starting to identify other ways to incorporate uh, physiological measures into virtual environments. Now, on the learning side at Icona, um, one of the areas where I am most excited and curious is, you know, I've spent the last three years trying to understand and, and beginning to really grasp the power of 360 video as an interactive tool, as a way to immerse users in real stories and, and do interactive storytelling. I mean, that is that is a powerful, powerful tool to be able to be first person and to see a scenario playing out, you know, an agitated patient or uh, building communication skills as 
a brand new frontline nurse who has never dealt with a patient before who has dementia, you know, or, or whatever the case might be, to be able to be first person and feel that and experience it. And then all of a sudden to be able to switch to third person and have have someone else show you the right way to do it. And and you're actually learning through experience as Todd talked about before. You know, that's that is amazing. And, and I've I've really enjoyed doing that for the last three years. And we're going to continue to do that because we do it very well. But the new areas that excite me have a lot to do with things that are more on the interactive side. So interactive techniques within virtual environments is a boundless, endless, fascinating field that I can't learn enough about. And there are some really fabulous uh, academics out there and, and research experts who have done a ton of work in, in human factors, right, Todd? I, I think the, the old school way of, of talking about it, but UX, human factors, and, and how we interact in virtual environments that I think is going to blow people's minds in the years ahead, especially as these conversations about hardware uh, look much different, right? So three years ago, when I, Nico, when I talked about the first pivot or the second pivot, rather, yeah, we were talking, there, there was a debate about um, who would win the con, who would win the hardware war, right? Who was who going to be the, the supreme headset? What would it look like? That That's still happening. There are still companies coming out with unbelievable headsets that cost $13,000, but you can read text uh, clear as day and, and, and it, you can drive a car while wearing a VR headset. It's just unbelievable. Um, that's fine. I think most people have realized, hey, look, hardware is just going to keep getting better. People are going to keep investing in it. Worry more about content. Worry more about how this actually looks and feels to people who need the content. And that's where that's where all the focus has has turned. And with that shift, I think we're seeing a really interesting turn towards the experience of the user in the environment. So if, if you can think about what it means to be in your experiences for your end users, and, and this goes back to everything about Todd's background for us on the education and learning side, to really understand the process of identifying brain regions and okay, we're using VR as a tool, but what if we're using augmented reality? What if we're using mixed reality? Um, what does that mean for our end user? And what does that mean for the task we're trying to train? It, the more we have those conversations in the next 12 to 24 months, I think you're gonna start to see, and you, frankly, you're already seeing it across industries, but you're gonna start to see more and more of a reliance on these immersive technologies because they do these things so well not simply because people are just using new technologies for the sake of using them. I think from this point forward, you know, there's been a, a tremendous uptick and the momentum is behind VR. You look at holiday sales from this past season and, and things were sold out. You couldn't get your hands on an enterprise quest to save your life. Um, but from this point forward, I think the uptick will be because of ROI. It'll be because of KPIs people care about. It'll be because people like Todd are, are focused on what people actually need to get out of the experience. And, and I, I truly think that um, uh, things are looking up. I mean, the, the industry has so much potential and, and we're actually realizing that potential. And, and I know for years people have looked for this, this overwhelming uptick of VR and to wake up one morning and, and everyone has a VR headset on, on, on the bus and on the subway. It's, it's probably not going to happen, which is fine. Uh, but I think that 
enterprises are, are waking up to, to the possibilities of VR and AR. What about yourself, Todd? Do you have any opinions on what the next three years is going to look like? Yeah, I, oh yeah. <laughs> I, I, I'll, I'll try to be brief, but um, I, so th- this, is a, this is a case where uh, age, you know, I'm middle-aged and, and, and age is actually, with age comes wisdom and it's been useful. So, I mean, I've, I've, seen, I've seen technologies, you know, for 40 plus years. And, you know, when I, when I decided as an undergraduate that I wanted to be a psychologist and when I entered grad school to be a psychologist, I really started, you know, looking at technologies through the eye of a psychologist. And, and, and here's a real simple take, and I, I think this is very hard to argue against. People who build technology are usually engineers. I love engineers. I think engineers are brilliant. I wish I could do differential equations, and, but I, I just couldn't. Okay, but if a technology is is going to be built for a user who is a human being, you better have psychologists helping build that product who are at the same level of, you know, decision makers as the engineers. And I and, you know, and, and to Tim's comments in curating our learning hub. And frankly, in making some really amazing, we have some really amazing friends, you know, who we've never met, but uh, amazing academicians who, who, frankly, you know, kind of go around and school people in the in the VR field, but but in a good way on this issue of what's called now it's called UIUX, user interface, user experience, used to be called human factors back in the day, but it's the idea of building a piece of technology that works naturally with the human being. Okay, so you know, we all walk around with smartphones and, and your guys' generation grew up only knowing that. Um, but I can tell you that when these things first came out, there was nothing intuitive about them. And we could have built these smartphones in a very, very different way had we had human factors experts involved so that natural human behaviors were incorporated into the technology in a way that made it much, much easier. So, so I think that's point number one. And so, you know, Tim is 100% correct. The hardware is always going to keep getting better. And there's going to be all these cool new bells and whistles. And my question is always, do I need that bell? And do I need that whistle to solve the problem that I, that I have in front of me? Or is that just another place for a user to fail? Okay, so um, yeah, and, and, I, and, and so I, I, I think that's where this, u- this user interface, user experience, and really bringing that front and center is going to be absolutely critical. To, to Tim's comment on perspective taking, um, I, I completely agree. And, and one of the things that's so exciting about virtual reality, especially in, in healthcare, it, and it, for not only patients but providers, is this notion of empathy. Okay, there, there are so many, you know, if you've ever had a patient experience, even if you like the nurse and you like the doctor and you think they're friendly, sometimes you're sitting there going, can't they see on my face that I have no freaking idea what they're talking about, right? I mean, the, the, the interpersonal skills, that bedside manner is very often lacking. Well, it's not because they're bad people or uneducated people. It's because those are really, really, really hard skills to develop 
But in VR, if I can walk a mile in the shoes of an elderly person who, so I am literally now that elderly person and somebody is talking to me and they're just talking too darn fast. I don't understand what they're saying. And they're not talking loud enough because I'm a little bit hard of hearing. Okay, well, now I'm going to go, oh, wow, you know what? Um, I'll bet you that happens when I talk to, you know, my grandparent. And maybe that's why they seem a little socially isolated. So the ability to walk a mile in somebody else's shoes, which you can do in VR, and frankly, there's, there aren't other technologies that allow you to do that, um, is absolutely a game changer. To be, to be able to change those perspectives and to see a situation from multiple different perspectives is going to build out that empathy you know, even more and more and more. And Todd, that's super interesting because when I'm thinking about de- developing or building a team, my first initial thought definitely isn't to hire a psychologist, especially if I'm building a technical product. Um, but I think what you're saying makes a ton of sense in that you know, you're going to need someone that is able to understand people and truly understand people. Um, I know a lot of people believe or feel like they do understand human beings, but I guess that probably isn't always the case, or at least not to the extent as to which they originally think. Yeah, and I and I I mean I think the the trap that people fall in, and again, as a psychologist, I get this, but we all think we understand how people are. Like, well, I'm a person and, you know, I have my life experience. You know, I, I understand what it's like to be a person. No, actually, you don't. You understand what your life is like, your limited experience, you know. And again, that's not a criticism of a person. But the fact is that psychologists study human behavior <laughs> as their job, right? as their passion, really. Um, and human behavior is one of the most complicated things to understand. And, you know, if you're spending your time on differential equations and high level software development, more power to you because I can't do that. But um, you need to talk to me, too, about how you want to develop that software, how you want to engineer that product so that it works with people. Because guess what? You really don't know that much about people. Um, None of us know that much about processing in our own brains. So we really have to really have to utilize experts on human behavior. Uh, in order to, to build those things out. I do have one final question for the both of you guys. Um, one of the most impactful parts about working on the intersection of health and technology is just the ability to impact patients. So if you guys are open to it, I would love to hear about your guys' favorite patient story while working at Icona. I've got one. I don't know, Tim, you want to... <laughs> Go for it, Todd. I mean, so this isn't this isn't about a specific patient, but this is this has to do with some of the some of the work that we've been doing. You know, we we've, we've been we we developed a piece of content to educate patients, and um, and this is in the kidney space, and and it, and it's been great. The patients loved it. You know, of course, we collected data, all these wonderful things, and surreptitiously we found out that by having this VR experience which provided information and knowledge and experience for patients that now they actually had a lot of questions that they didn't know that they used to have. Okay. Well, I love that because, you know, the greatest thing about learning 
is that as soon as you know something, you realize all the things you don't know, but now you can actually verbalize it. So that, that's, that's part number one to the story. So then the patients started talking to the providers. Well, the providers realized they didn't really have good answers to those questions. So we tweaked our VR experience and now made a provider version. Now the providers, they, now the providers had a much better experiential knowledge and now you've got shared experience and communication. And to me, the key to positive outcomes in healthcare, you know, besides technical expertise and all those wonderful things that nurses and medical doctors have, is communication. And I think that this tool provides that foundation and that grounding, that shared experience that facilitates communication amongst patients and providers. And, you know, empathy flows out of that, knowledge flows out of that, and, and positive healthcare outcomes. So mine is um, mine's a little bit unorthodox in the sense that I, I went to a conference and the conference was in, it was in Egypt. It was in, uh, it was in Sharm el-Sheikh, which is in the Sinai Peninsula of Egypt. It's so kind of, kind of remote. It's kind of a beach town, but far away from, from most other things in the Sinai Peninsula, except for a, a diving spot, just a little bit north. But Essentially, it was for it was for the African continent, and it was the World Youth Forum. So about five thousand youth from across the globe, but largely the MENA region, uh, came and assembled, and and we had a fantastic three days uh, discussing relevant issues, including healthcare. But I, I was able to share a bit about Icona and the work we were doing, and I brought a couple headsets as well, of course, uh, to to share with folks. And after I did a it was, a, it was a really short talk, right? So I, I gave a, a high-level 15-minute talk about Icon and the work we're doing and, and our hopes and dreams and, and, and why I was over there hoping to bridge the gap uh, that exists between their healthcare system and, and people who need help in, in rural areas, right? So it's it's not too dissimilar to to what we have in the U.S. in the sense that rural care uh, suffers pretty pretty tremendously and there's a lot of uh, a lot of help needed when it comes to access to care remotely, right? So that that issue was front and center o- over there. So the conversations we were having were around, well, how would VR be a tool for education remotely and, and to make it more accessible? And the feedback that I had from a 15-minute talk, I, I think I, I probably met close to 50 people over the next 30 minutes who immediately came up and wanted to see the product. And actually we, we needed translators for all the languages of types of people I was, I was meeting who wanted to buy the headset on the spot because they had a parent or a sibling or they themselves could have used VR for learning more about their, their health. Um, it was the first time most of them had seen a VR headset and it was incredibly powerful, right? I, I, didn't didn't know what to do. Of course, I I just gave the headsets I I had. I only had two, unfortunately. But um, you know, luckily there there are, are widely accessible headsets, and to to know that VR could be a tool that enables people to access information remotely, where they otherwise might not be able to. Right. So we we talk a lot about how VR is. Um, superior when it comes to experience versus information. And 
I completely understand that uh, just having access to information, whether it's the internet or uh, any other source of information is, is of course a luxury for, for us. Um, but the fact that VR could eventually play a role in those regions, in, in systems where so much emphasis is placed on the point of care and the one-on-one relationship between the people providing that care and the people in their area um, is really powerful. And, and I think the potential, of course, at Icona, where our focus here is is in the U.S. and, and understanding how what role we play in specific sectors of our health ecosystem. Um, but more broadly, you know, you talk about mission and dream and and I just hope that there, you know, if it's not us, if it's not Icona who is expanding education, healthcare education globally to regions of the world that that need it so badly, then I, I fully believe someone will. Uh, perhaps someone already is that I met last year at this conference. I, I can only hope. Um, but to see it outside of the context of what I understand, you know, I, I was treated in the VA for two years and I'm still a VA patient to this day. So that's a very narrow perspective, as Todd mentioned. You know, I, I understand veteran care. I understand young, relatively healthy veteran care. Um, but to be able to see a glimpse of, of what that looks like for people that I can't even imagine otherwise, where VR could step up and be something completely different that motivates people, that helps them change their behaviors, that, that is this always accessible, always available tool for them. Um, you know, that's that's really where that's what helps us get excited and, and out of bed in the morning. And, you know, what you talk about, what motivates you, what fuels you to keep pivoting. Uh, it's it's those sorts of experiences. So anyways, that's that's not exactly a single patient story, but there's there are a lot of patients. Tim and Todd, both of those stories were absolutely amazing. I can definitely see how how those types of inter- patient interactions and stories would, you know, help you navigate some of these difficult decisions and pivots and some of those days that aren't as great as other days. Um, Amon and I just want to thank you so much for taking the time to speak with us about your guys' company, how it's transformed and changed over time. Um, if our listeners are interested in learning more about Icona Health, where would you recommend that they go to learn more about you guys and the amazing work that you guys are doing? Yeah, I think we'd both agree that, um, you know, obviously the website Icona.health, so that is the entire website. Uh, but on LinkedIn, we're very active, right? So we, we share research every single day, either from myself, from Todd, from Icona. We are always curating that hub. Uh, LinkedIn is our very active place for us. So please, we'd encourage anyone interested to uh, interact with us, reach out, send us any questions, anything you think is fascinating or we should take a look at. We are all about raising awareness and educating the space because so much about VR is educating our users and educating people who could potentially use it. And we are still in that place and I'm sure we always will be and things are getting better. People are getting more curious, but uh, I think LinkedIn is a, a great place to start. If you're interested in learning more about Icona Health, please check them out at icona.health or through LinkedIn on Tim Fitzpatrick's or Todd Maddox's profiles. These guys are frequently posting and it's really interesting stuff. Please check it out. Thank you so much for taking the time to listen to our podcast today. Your attention means the world to us. 
If you enjoyed today's episode, please feel free to share this episode with a friend. And if you really enjoyed it, if you could go ahead and leave a rating and a review on whatever platform you get your podcasts, Iman and I would be over the moon. Stay tuned for our next episode.